The stories of some of the world's greatest women unfold here. I am Annette Comer, your host, and each week the untold secrets of success, strength, and boldness of today's powerful women are revealed. Today's woman knew as a little girl she was meant to lead. As early as age seven, she was the one taking charge in the family. But her father ruled the house, so she was often criticized for stepping forward. No one seemed to understand she was designed to lead. And even though her father told her she had no business going to college, she got a scholarship in nursing. And as her life unfolded, she found herself excelling in various executive roles. But at age 38, she decided she wanted to start her own business, helping others in healthcare become strong leaders. Today, she coaches medical C-suite executives, helping them to be the leaders they are meant to be. It is my pleasure to introduce you to one of the world's greatest women, Elizabeth Jeffries. Hi, Elizabeth. Thank you for joining me today. Oh, good, good morning, Annette. It's just great. What a privilege to be with you. Thank you. Yeah, so we're going to have such a good time, and we're short on time, so I'm going to jump right on in if that's okay with you. Got it. All right, so you've always been a person with immense talents and gifts and was often told you made others look bad because of how you excelled. Did this make you want to play small and minimize your accomplishments? Wow, what a great question. Sometimes it did, but most of the time it just made me uh, a little bit more determined you know, Annette, I, as we mature through life, we I think we recognize, at least I hope, that our emotional intelligence rises. And I reflect back on some of those earlier times and the roles that I had that I probably could have gone about things a little bit differently. You know, I think when you have some level of what I might call some strength or stepping into things rather than avoiding, it can make people uncomfortable oftentimes not be very fond of you for that. And so I think over the course of time, one of the things that that has made it a lot better has been to um, watch my approach to things and to conversations rather than jumping in, which is really what I did. And I, I think that's I think that's a part of growth to think before you speak and to watch how you're coming across to other people. So that was not good at those in those earlier times. I have to tell you, it was uh, I couldn't understand why people were not moving forward and doing things and making things happen. You know, and I want to I want to dig a little bit deeper on that because I think what happens for so many women, Elizabeth, is that when they are so talented and are so driven, they do make others feel small and maybe look small. And I guess the, the thing I want the women listening to recognize is it's, it's not about them. It is about how they can make others feel elevated. So they have to be careful in their wording. I'm like you. When I was in my younger years, I, and the good news, I was very self-aware. So I watched and I got dinged a few times. It stung because I'm like you. I couldn't understand why aren't people seeing it this way? And then I got better and I got better at how I approached things and asked questions and such. And you found the same thing, I suspect. Absolutely. And it's been such a powerful uh, learning that that's a lot of what I coach now. And it's men and women, but women in particular, I I was actually, you know, I I coach uh, uh, physician leaders as well as C-suite execs because many of the physicians now are moving into leadership roles in healthcare. 
And I was actually working with a, a woman this morning on this very thing. She's very strong. She's very driven. She's extremely competent, uh, could be general manager of the universe like many of us think we can be. But helping her to um, see and by just holding up the mirror to her a little bit that that the way in which she engages with people and how she moves things along um, would help her to adjust that. And I didn't have anybody to teach me that, Annette. Who taught you? How do we learn that? Big I don't mistakes. know, but I would have loved to have had somebody like you or somebody like me giving me some direction. My goodness. Exactly. It would have saved a lot of pain, wouldn't it? <laughs> a lot of crying in the bathroom, I can tell you that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and so I'm going to roll into the next question about women and men, but particularly women. You know, often women don't ask for what they want, Elizabeth. And my question to you is, what advice would you give to a woman who is reluctant to ask for the next promotion or even the help she needs, whether it be at the workplace or at home? There's a statement that I I use in my teaching and my work with people about power robbers. And I think that's some of the things that we do, particularly as women. I've been on boards and I have observed some women on boards. And this has been some time ago because I I suspect the higher level boards are occupied by a little different kind of woman today. Some of the things that we do or we don't do that rob us of our power, particularly as women. And so the not asking, okay, or we ask ending with a question. I want you to think about that one. Okay. Mm -hmm. I'd like to do this. Would it work if we did that? And ending with our voice up, instead of making it as a flat statement, I'd like to do this. Can we take care of that? Or can we take care of that? By ending in that question, it's asking permission. See that power robber? And that is, I listen to that and I hear that a lot. I hear that and a lot. And people aren't even aware of it, are they? No, Elizabeth, no. That's what's, that's what's bad. They, they aren't even aware of it. Yeah. No, I think that's brilliant wisdom. Mm-hmm. So that's, that is one piece. And there are um, multiple power robbers. Ending in a question mark is one. Another one is justifying something that we've made a decision on and trying to explain or over-explain when really it just needs to be a statement where we'd say, I regret it worked for me to serve on that committee. And then we get oftentimes go into, you know, I've got all these things going on in my life. I've got the children. I've got this other project I'm in. And and we go on and explaining. And instead of making a flat statement that says, uh, thank you for considering me on that. I regret that it won't work for me at this time in in my life or in my career. So we over-explain and justify when we really don't need to. And I'll tell you, it's a wonderful example. And I had something happen to me just this week of a woman that wanted me to vouch for her for a position that she's asking for. And she's very qualified for it. But when I asked her how the conversation was going on her side, she proceeded into truly 10 minutes of explaining all of her qualifications. And, and I felt like that she, whoever she had been talking to, she was probably throwing up all over them with all this. She was justifying her as opposed to saying, of course, I deserve to be here. And then asking them to look for proof of why she didn't deserve there, as opposed to working so hard to prove she did deserve there. I'm sure you've seen this as Good well. Point. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Another power robber, for sure. Another power robber. So you were the person that made things happen throughout your life. But with this comes others' criticism. 
So how did you handle such criticism and others talking negatively about you so that you didn't get derailed with hurt feelings? One of the things that I've had to work on and I continue to is an oversensitivity. Earlier on, it really, really hurt. And I would do the crying in the bathroom kind of thing and lament over it. And I don't do that now. And I think, again, I go back to some of the what we hope we have as we get a little bit older is the maturity and a higher level of what we know is emotional intelligence in the brain science. Because we know from experience, you can't please everybody. There's one thing, you can't please everybody. And if you're fair, and if you speak the truth, and one of the, my statements of my work is speaking the truth in love, those two words at the end make all the difference in the world. As a truth speaker, there's a way to tell the truth. There's a way to speak the truth. But when we speak it with anger or righteousness or um, arrogance, it's interpreted very differently than we speak the truth in love. When I might say, Virginia, are you open to a thought that I have around this is very different than saying, let me tell you what I think about that. So there's a whole way of framing and reframing our language makes such a difference. And that's a learning process. I'm still learning that. I'm still learning it. That's why one of of my earlier coaches said, there's an I-N-G on that word. It is still in process. And it is until we stop being, isn't it? Until we stop being it, yes. Uh, Excellent, excellent advice. Because I think a lot of women do get derailed with these hurt feelings. And I think sometimes it brings out the worst in them. Yeah, I've seen that. And maybe I've even been that myself at times. And I think some of that is the, the feeling of wanting to just give up and wanting to say, well, what's what's the sense in that? Why is this a hill I want to die on? It's not worth it. But if it is worth it and it's a bigger issue, you got to be willing to die on some hills. And adjust accordingly. And adjust accordingly. Yes, you certainly do. So we go a little different direction. So okay. curiosity is a part of who you are and how you see the world. But often, such curiosity can be misunderstood. So have you ever found others misunderstanding your curiosity? And in that, I'm going to also ask, what advice would you have for others that see the world as a place of curiosity? I think I had mentioned to you at one time that I was in the process of doing some research on curiosity because mm-hmm. I'm, I've been curious, curious. As, to whether, <laughs> as to whether you can learn curiosity and, and then, you know, you watch children and they're so curious about everything. They want to take things, the little ones want to take things apart, or they ask multitude of questions. And somewhere along the way, we stop doing that. So can we learn it? I don't know. But it is definitely something I'm, I'm really passionate about. Like anything else, it can work two ways. Because of the passion or the interest in curiosity, I think an outcome of that is asking questions. Okay. That's how you learn if you have, what does that mean? Or what does that look like? And, you know, for instance, we went to the museum, one of our museums here in uh, Naples last week, and they had a whole exhibit on Rodin and they had his gates of hell. Well, I had all sorts of questions about it. I know that he, he had uh, taken from Dante's Inferno around doing that. So I, I wanted to know more. So when you want to know more, you have to ask questions. So then the issue becomes, when do I ask a question? How do I frame the question so that 
It is not putting the person down who is maybe sharing something or where you're not interrogating someone Mm. by asking questions in certain ways. So again, it's just such a learning process to channel the curiosity in a way that opens up learning for, let's say myself, but as well as for maybe the other people, if it's a group or for the person who is uh, sharing something when they say, oh gosh, that's a great question. Or I never thought about that. Then, you know, you're, you're on target with something. And then I keep going back to it's the way in which we do it. Elizabeth, I think it's even a trickier path for women, particularly women that are very capable and very driven. Mm -hmm. Because I think I think sometimes those if you aren't careful how you frame those questions, you come across too brash where a man might be able to pull that off. Right. Uh, And we could talk all day long about what's fair and what's not fair. It is the reality that we still live in. So I think your your advice of being very aware and careful how you ask your questions. And the more you do it, the better you get at it, don't you think? Absolutely. It's like practice with anything. And, uh, you know, speaking of aware, I've had the habit for many years of choosing a theme or a word for the year that will guide me and be in front of me to practice or learn something new or behave in a particular way. And my word this year, my words are two are be aware. It's a consciousness, a mindfulness of being aware of what I'm saying, what I'm doing, how I'm thinking, and how I'm coming across and how those things impact the people that I'm interacting with. It becomes externally focused instead of internally focused. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's brilliant because I think so many people are walking through life being totally unaware. Yeah. And and then often the result of that, they don't reach the success they would like, or they don't reach the goals or their dreams, you know, disappear into vapor. You know, Annette, we don't get feedback. Who gives feedback? You're going to take unsolicited feedback? I don't think so. Nobody wants to. We feel uh, demeaned if somebody tries to tell us something. But if we ask permission, see, I just think that we all need at least one person, hopefully a couple of people and hopefully our girlfriends, that will speak the truth and love to us. Because if I'm really close to you, and you know what my dreams are, and you know what my gifts are, but you know what my stop gaps are also. And if I say to you, Annette, I am giving you permission to call me on behavior or language, whatever it might be, when you see me going against what I believe and what I know, I'm giving you permission to tell me about it. We all need somebody in our life like that. Oh, don't we? Oh, we do. Because we're so blind to so many things. We are. We have blind spots. And I think that's one of the big things is is we need to be aware of our blind spots because they they're blind. That's why we don't see them. (laughs) (laughs) And and to have somebody be able to say, you remember that blind spot you told me about? Well, you gave me permission to tell you, and you know what? It just showed up. And then I'm going to say, oh my gosh, Annette, what did I say or do? Please tell me because I don't want to do that. Somebody has to speak the truth and love to us. And, you know, as a coach, that's, that's what I'm assigned to do. And I have their permission to do that. 
but we need we need people in our lives that will speak the truth to us. And we have to be in that receptive mode, knowing that if it's coming from someone that we love, for example, a family member may give feedback, but it doesn't mean you take that feedback in the entirety because they may be walking a different path yeah. than you. But I have always found that in that feedback from people that love me, once I get to myself and think about it and ponder it a little bit, I can see the element of truth in that, that they were trying to get to. That's a really good point of of your saying that. I think it's really hard to hear things from family members. I think I just don't think you can have that. I've asked my husband multiple times, Stephen, please tell me when. And he either doesn't see it or it's not important enough for him to call me on anything. But I think when somebody can share or give us feedback, when we're open to it, we have some choices. We can either reject it completely and say, I don't agree with that to ourselves or to them. We can accept it completely and say, wow, tell me more. I didn't know that. Or we can say, you know what, Annette, that was really an interesting comment. I want to think about that. I want to really ponder and look and see where the truth is in that for me. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the healthiest of those three examples, the healthiest is the last. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's, mm, let me think about that. Is there a truth in that? And then the question is how honest we can be with ourselves. Oh, that's like, another whole, oh, we could have an hour discussion God. on that one, couldn't we? <laughs> <laughs> and we say, oh my gosh, did I do that? No. <laughs> well, and, and, and while we're on this feedback, I'm going to dig just a little bit deeper. And that is what you said, which is so wise. And that is the feedback from people that that are part of your everyday love circle, meaning your spouse or your children. That feedback can be very valuable because they know you the most, but it also can be the most hurtful. So put your armor on for that and recognize that it, it is their perception from where they're coming from from a place of love. It's not meant to hurt. That's wise. Very good. Yeah, yeah. All right, so I'm going to go back to curiosity for a second. So I want to talk for a second about the art of asking questions. So what have you learned is the best way to frame a question as a leader so that you don't offend, but instead get an answer? Well, there are levels of questions, first of all, six levels of questions. You know, the first one is kind of like we started out here is the superficial ones that's comfortable. Nobody gets upset by saying, hey, Annette, how are you? You know, how was your holiday? Did you do anything special for your birthday? And all those things are very safe. So those safe questions are pretty easy. It's when we get in a little bit deeper and further that become a little bit more sensitive. And recognizing, I think, that my experience is most people do not ask questions. If you're meeting someone, you start it. I'll start it and ask a question. They will tend to go on and on about themselves or that situation. Every now and then, I will run across somebody that says, that's a great question, Elizabeth. What do you think about that? Or they'll tell me something and then they'll ask a question back. I don't find that to be the norm in conversation. And I'm going to challenge our audience to really pay attention to how much they ask questions of others out of their curiosity. Or when they ask a question, how much do they get back in questions? See, you're really great at it, but this is what you do, right? This is your work. This is your passion. And I totally understand that. But I just think it's 
difficult for people and we're not used to focusing so much on others through questions, but that's how you get to learn about people. That's how you get to uncover the gifts. And so, you know, the ways in which you do them is with a sense of curiosity and not a sense of judging, but really sincerely wanting to know. I want to know you. I know you have interviewed uh, on here my good friend, Glenna Salisbury. And I remember meeting Glenna many, many years ago. And we were so dear friends now, but I uh, was in one of her sessions at our professional association. And I just saw something in her and I waited till the very, 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 very end while everybody was leaving. And I just went up to her and said, Glenna Salisbury, I want to know you. I want to know who you are. And this was 30 years ago and we're bestest buddies. But I think unless you reach out and look at, there's something special in somebody, in every single person. There's something unique. There's some passion there. There's a story there. I want to know the stories. But do you only get there, Elizabeth? And and this is the reason you're there. You are other-centered focused. So many people are self-centered focused. And when you're in that self-centered focus, you don't ask questions because you're you're totally inside. But when you allow yourself to be other-centered focused, uh, it's a beautiful ride because you discover so many surprises and it gives you perspectives on yourself and I mean, it's just, it's a a constant discovery process, which is truly so exciting. Part of curiosity is I think you, you have to have some penchant for learning. And I think they're tied together with curiosity. If you want to know, that means you want to expand and you want to learn and you want to grow and you want to know something else. If you're not a lifelong learner, I don't think you're going to be very curious. And that's not bad or good. It just, right. Just, it, it. just recognize that in yourself. It's, and yeah. I have one last quick question for you okay. on this question part. Do you find in your, your work and in your coaching of executives, do you tend to advise women to ask differently other women questions versus asking other men questions? Do you find they need to frame it a different way? Or do you find that the question can be asked the same? Is there any gender specific narratives? Gosh, I haven't thought about it that way. Um, I'll give you a clue where I'm thinking because, yeah, because I have found for in my work that often with men, I need to uh, soften how I ask the question. Have you considered doing this? As opposed to a woman, I might be able to say, this is something that maybe you'd be curious to you know, do. Maybe this is something you think about doing. Somehow when I ask that way to a man, it comes almost like I'm confronting them in some fashion. Don't see that in a woman. So for a man, I always find that I'm, it's easier to ask a question with, with something like, have you considered? That's often the way I will start. Have you considered mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. what it might mean if you do such and such? Or I don't know. It's something I wondered if you had dis- made that distinction in your work. You know, I have not. And because that's such a coaching style of mm-hmm. the way you just said that, that I pretty much use that all the time because I'm a process coach and that's some of the ways to do it. But I'm going to pay attention to that. I coach a lot of men. In fact, last year, I probably coached more men. I had at one point, I had all men that I was coaching. I had no women. And now I have a little bit more of a balance. 
And that's been really interesting, Hasn't coaching it? men. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. yeah. And that's but been most know, of my career has been coaching men. And it see, is there there definitely you go. So, you different know, dynamic for sure. Yeah. That's another well, we'll, topic. Well, we'll it? circle back around later in the year and see how, when you've got some data, what that looks like. It'll <laughs> <laughs> be another gonna, interesting discussion. <laughs> I'm going to think about that one. You think about that one. Elizabeth, is there anything about your journey to greatness that we haven't covered that you'd like to share with other women? I'll just share just a short vignette here because... Uh, when we talked before, Annette, I remember sitting in class in high school, not even college, but high school. And if you remember, maybe you didn't do this, but many of us would would write the names of our boyfriends on a piece of paper while we were in class and we're doodling and doing all this. And the girls around me were whispering about like a married name. They had boyfriends and I would be Mrs. So-and-so. And then I, I remember one girl saying, oh, I want to marry a president of a company. And the other girls are going, yeah, that'd be great. And I'm sitting there thinking, I don't want to marry one. I want to be one. <laughs> and, and it was such a revelation. And I, I, I had to have been like 14 or 15. But right in that moment, recognizing the differences of the way we think as people, but certainly as women, and maybe more in those times than today, But I think as some final thoughts is be true to yourself about where your gifts are, what those gifts are, what you really want to do with them, and what the big picture is. And don't get caught in the administrivia and the details and telling yourself that you can't do it. If you have, oh gosh, get get some really good people around you that will speak the truth to you, mentors that will will help you, that will give you sound advice. I think when when I look at regrets, and I guess like Frank Sinatra said, we all had a few, <laughs> you know, never really asking for that help. I didn't ask for help. Did you ask for help in it? No. And I, I look back and I don't know why no, I didn't. No. So I guess maybe that's the bottom line of it is ask for help, even if it's not everything about the person. But I remember getting started in the work that I'm in now, I would look at different people and I would say, I want the platform presence of that person. I want the financial acumen of that person. I want the behavior skills of that person. So being able to pull out and choose from someone that is a model to you, maybe not even a mentor, because a model, you may not know that person, but you see something in them or you hear something in them. Yeah. So reach out and ask. Elizabeth, thank you so much for being here today. You're always a pleasure to talk with. You have so much wisdom and I'm just so appreciative that you took time from your busy coaching schedule. It's been a privilege and I've learned just so much just having conversation and you're such a great questioner. So you've made it easy. You've made it really easy to do this and it's been a privilege. Thank you so much. And Elizabeth is another great example of how women are challenging the norm, making things happen, and demanding their own greatness. So join me next time on the World's Greatest Women Show as another powerful woman's story unfolds. 